0: Uh, Let's bow our heads. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for... uh, Lord, I thank you that we can come together as a church, whether in person, online, um, that Lord, your spirit brings us together in fellowship with each other, but also with you, Lord. We thank you for that. And in a day that uh, many in this world, celebrate, and there's a lot of darkness that is celebrated, a lot of visuals of death that's celebrated. Lord, we come to celebrate the victorious death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. We celebrate life, Lord God, that came from your death, from your resurrection, Lord. So, Lord, we pray that you would be glorified today we just ask your spirit would move and speak to us, Lord. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I don't know how many of you, how many of you describe yourself as competitive? Any one of you competitive people? Yeah? I bet you I'm more competitive than you. I bet you. Uh, I, I showed a glimpse of this going back to Father's Day. Remember we had Father's Day out there and there was a, the competition, I don't know if I let on at the time, but uh, I really, really wanted Mikhail and I to beat all you other dads. Hopefully, I didn't show too much excitement when we did win. Uh, those of us when we went to the beach for, with Anchor, some of us played volleyball. Hopefully, I didn't let on the fact that at that time, too, I really did want to win. Hopefully, I didn't show it too much. But uh, I, I did want to win. It was for no, no, there was nothing at stake, but uh, I really wanted to win at that time, too. Uh, I know at the pumpkin carving thing Friday night, some of you were kind of anxious to see who won, right? And I, from what I heard, you were the, the announcement of who won was delayed. It was really because I didn't want to lose. <laughs> That's not true. I'm just kidding. I didn't do that. No, that, that's not the case, but uh, you guys did a great job. I couldn't declare the ultimate winner because, you know, I don't know if that would stir controversy, I'm like, wait a second, you know, so, but you all had great pumpkins, um, but I've gotten better over the years with my competitiveness. I think fatherhood uh, helped this in me, actually, not really, probably made it worse, um, I really didn't like letting my kids uh, win, right? I I didn't like losing to my kids. I wanted to teach them the the important value of losing. That's important. Even in shoots and ladders, I didn't like losing. You ever played shoots and ladders? That game is pure randomness, right? Whoever draws the colors, cards. When we got to the top, when I played with my kids, sorry, Michaela, But I really hope they got the slide went back down when they were at the top. I didn't like losing, even to my kids. But I'm getting better. I'm getting better with my competitiveness. When I play something, I want to play to win. That's just kind of how I am. Some people are satisfied with just enjoying the experience. People are just satisfied with, I just enjoy playing the game. Let's just go play together. We don't need to win. We don't need to keep score. Let's just play. That works with some people. That's harder with me, right? I, I, I like to be competitive. I like to have a goal, some motivation to push me to win something. But so I try to tame that down. I don't know. if Some of you can relate to this. Some of you may not be able to relate to this at all. But some of you may be able to relate to this on a life level, on a bigger scale about life. You may have similar views about life. Right? What are we living for? What is m- motivating us in our life? Some people are content with just living their life day by day as long as they're happy presently happy. That's all they really want. There's no real end game goal. It's just We just want to be happy in life. That's their pursuit. But I would guess most people aren't just content with that, right? Most people aren't content with like they just want their life just to be pleasant at the time. They want some kind of purpose, some kind of bigger motivation as to what they're doing in life they need purpose, and I think rightfully so, right? I, think, I believe God created all of us with this innate desire for purpose, for meaning. There has to be some kind of meaning and purpose at the end of it all in how we live our life, right? What motivates you in your life? What are you pursuing? Last week, we saw how Paul shared What motivated him before Jesus, right? What motivated Paul before he encountered Jesus? And if we think about it, there should, for those of us as believers, there should be a pre-Jesus reality and an after Jesus reality, right? Who were you before Christ and who were you after Christ? There should be a difference. We saw there was a difference with Paul. Paul. Some of you may be thinking, well, what about those of us who've been believers all our life? You don't have to raise your hands, but I'm, I imagine there are a number of you here, including myself, would say, well, I've been a believer all my life. I didn't have this big conversion experience where, like, I was in the dumps, and then I came to Christ, and encountered Christ, and then it was just all changed. What about those of us who've been believers all our lives? For those of you, I would say, don't be discouraged. There's a great blessing if that is your testimony. That you've been a believer since all you can remember. That, that's me. Right? Since I was a little boy, I remember. There's never a time in my life that I didn't believe in Jesus. But your testimony is no less valuable than the one who had a dramatic conversion experience. Because that's God's story in your life. There's a, lot of, there's a number of people in Scripture who have been faithful to God since birth. And they lived that journey. So I, wanted, I don't want to discourage you all if you don't have that, that like big conversion experience or moment. If you're that way, if you find yourself in your stories that you've been a believer all your life, I would say find a moment when you really decided, you know, I'm going to follow Christ even more. Mother. I want to get to know Christ more. And that can be your point of contrast. Or you can look at life outside of Christ and like, this is, perf- this is what it would be before, and this is what Christ does for me in my life now, right? But we saw last week about Paul's pre-Jesus motivation, what he lived for in his life. And I know last week I gave you kind of a lot to chew on. I gave you a whole lot, and almost like gave you like a flash marinade a bit. You know, I like using the term marinade, right? You, you guys remember that? And I kind of gave you a lot, and I kind of like dunked you into a marinade and brought it out real quick and said, you know, chew on it a little bit. So today I want us to kind of marinate a little bit more today. And there's going to be five added ingredients to the marinade today. I think by the end of the message, you guys are going to be hungry. Because I'm talking about marinade, right? When you marinate meat or something, you let it soak in the juices and all the ingredients. And it flavors the meat. So when you eat it, you can taste all the flavors. And on the slides, there's going to be pictures of ingredients. Those ingredients have nothing to do with the message, okay? They're just to kind of invoke this idea of ingredients. So you guys hungry? Hungry for a word? Okay, let's get right to it. Philippians chapter 3, verse 7. We're going to pick up in verse 7. So we're going to go back to some verses we covered last week. Paul says, "...but whatever things were gained to me, those things I've counted as loss for the sake of Christ." More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I suffer the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Verse 9, And may be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know Him, And the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. We'll stop there. Again, I mentioned last week we talked about gains and losses. And that how Paul assumed that he was set on his way to the kingdom of God. Paul was convinced that he was set. He had everything in his life that he needed to get his way to the kingdom of God. We talked about how it was all an advantage to him. It was gain to him, right? He had the heritage. He had the education. He had the training. He had the devotion. He was religious to know to, to he was blameless in that area. For Paul, he thought he had everything He can do all that he physically possibly can do or needed to do to get to the kingdom of God. But we saw what he thought was perfect. He thought he knew God, but it wasn't enough. We talked about how the law reveals that, what the law does is it reveals the sinfulness of man's heart, right? Rules don't make us more righteous, but they point at us and let us know how rebellious we can be. We talked about how, if, for those of us who are parents, you set rules in your house. They don't make your kids better. If anything, they might tell you how rebellious they can be. As a teacher, teachers have rules in class. Those rules, students look at those rules and say, all right, I could break that, I could break that, I could break that and get away with it, right? Right? That's what rules do. And what Paul realizes: is that the law didn't make anyone more righteous, but it shows us that how much we need God to intervene. We need God to do what we could not do. So it leads us to the first marinated ingredient of the day, marinade ingredient number one. Paul chose to lose so that he could gain. Think about that. Let that marinate a little bit in your minds. Paul chose to lose so that he can gain. Verse 7 says, But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. That word where he says, I have counted. Now our English language doesn't do it justice. Right In Greek, Paul uses this, this tense, the perfect tense. So what it says is that when he says, I considered, I thought, or I accounted for, he refers to an action that he did in the past, but that it was done, it was complete, it was no, there was no need to repeat it again. What he did in the past was done, that was it. It didn't need to be repeated. So when Paul says, I've counted those things as lost, he says, I made the decision, that it was lost to me, and that decision is final. There's no reconsidering. Paul made the final determination that all that once shaped his identity, his heritage, his education, his work, all those things. He said, you know what? When I counted Christ, I made the decision, I count all those things as loss. All the confidence in his flesh was literally trash so that he may know Jesus. No turning back on his decision. You see, to fully understand the gain, we need to be willing to experience the loss. i say that again. To fully understand the gain, we need to experience, we need to be willing to experience loss. Commitment always requires sacrifice, right? And anything you commit yourself to, whether it's sports, learning an instrument, School, work, relationships, if you make a commitment to something, you make a commitment knowing there's going to be a sacrifice. When, when people get into a relationship, get a boyfriend or girlfriend, what happens? They commit to that relationship. What gets lost? See you, mom and dad, <laughs> right? Friends, yeah, you know, uh, I'm having lunch with my boyfriend or girlfriend. Uh, I'll catch up with you later. Those things happen. In anything in life, when we commit to something, there is always a sacrifice. And for Paul, he realized to choose, he, Paul chose to lose so that he can gain. Ingredient number two, knowing Jesus is priceless and unmatched. Knowing Jesus is priceless and unmatched. What was there to gain for Paul? What did he believe that was so much better than the life that he made for himself? What convinced Paul that all that he invested in his life that he was willing to let go of? Think about this. Think about the greatest experience you can ever have. What do you think about that? What is the greatest experience you could ever have? I bet William Shatner had maybe the greatest experience he could ever have. He went to space, right? He saw the edge of space. Think about the greatest person you could ever know. There's there someone you would say, like, if I could know this person, that would be the greatest thing. Think about the greatest bit of information you could ever learn. If there's something that you could learn and master, what would it be? Think about the greatest mystery you could ever explore. Think about that. Think about all those things. Combine all those things together, and they don't even compare to knowing Jesus. That's what Paul discovered greater than any experience you can have, greater than any mystery you can solve, greater than any person that you can know, Paul said, all those things is like trash that I may know Jesus. That's how transformative knowing Christ is. Paul says, I count all these things lost um, in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. He's willing to count it all rubbish that I may gain Christ, that I may be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but what comes from God. We talked about these gains last week. What were those gains that Paul discovered? He says, to know Christ Jesus. I gain to know Christ Jesus. We can have an experiential relationship with the Creator of the universe. Think about that. You can have a close, intimate knowledge experience with the God of the universe. Unlike some people we may come across in life, the more you get to know God, the more you want to know. I don't know if there's any people in your life, please, if they're sitting next to you, don't look at them. But maybe we've come across some people in our lives that we we were excited to get to know them. But then the more time goes, you're like, "Mm, I think I learned enough. (laughs) I don't need to know much more. I think I learned all I need to know. I don't need to learn much more. But with God, the more you get to know him, the more you experience relationship with God, the more you want the more you can't get enough of. The more your mind wanders like, man, I don't even think I realize. I've been a Christian for all my life. Been a pastor for X amount of years. I've studied all those things. And there's still things that gets, kind of blows me away. It's like, man, I got I to digest that a little bit more. Knowing Christ Jesus. It goes on, it says, righteousness which comes from God. We are declared righteous. Not out of what we have done or earned or deserve, but Jesus' righteousness covers us. It's tiring trying to prove yourself worthy, right? Can any of you relate to that? You don't have to raise your hands. Many children live to prove their worth to their parents. Right? Some of you adults here are still trying to live as if you're trying to prove your worthiness to your parents. It's tiring. It's a burden to try to feel like you have to be good enough to be right before somebody, to be worthy before somebody. And God says, look, I declare you righteous, not because of what you can do. Let me ease you of that burden, but what Christ has done for you you will be considered righteous before God. See, a lot of people in other religions, they try to earn their way. If I can just be good enough, if I can just do enough good things, I have a strong case before God. God says, nah, let what my son did for you cover you. Paul goes on and says, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. Here's the third ingredient in our marinade that I want you to think about. Faith is our response to God's provision. Notice what Paul says, he he emphasizes twice in verse 9. We get the righteousness not derived from the law, but is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. God requires our response to what He has provided for us. Faith in Jesus, who He is, what He has done, what He continues to do, what He will do. Will you place your faith in Jesus? Or would you rather put your faith in yourself? Thinking that you will be capable enough, good enough, do enough for God. Or would you rather put your faith in other people or something else? See, a lot of critics, they, have, they, they criticize Christianity because of faith, right? They, they portray faith as a weakness. But everybody lives in faith. Other religions, they, have, they believe in other gods. Atheists, they have faith too. They place their faith in science. They place their faith in scientists. Everyone uses faith. Everyone lives by faith. The question is, who do you put your faith in? Jesus did what he set out to do. His sacrifice was complete and final. And faith in him unlocks all his promises for you. He says, "I did all I could do for you. Will you believe? Or will you go on believing in yourself? Try and achieve on your own? Do what you can on your own. When he talks about it, he says, "I count them in rubbish that in order that I may gain Christ and may be found in, found in him." Verse 10 he says that I may know him." Verse 11 it says that I may attain to the resurrection." from the dead. What does Paul mean when we read in English? It says, may, I may gain. Is Paul uncertain about his future? He says, I may gain. I may be found. I may attain. Paul's not saying he's uncertain about it. Paul is very certain. He's certain how one gets saved. He's certain about salvation that is offered. He's certain about the means in which we are saved. He's certain about the one who makes it possible. But I believe Paul here, when he says he's, he says it may reflect or it, we may be found, we may attain. I believe it reflects his humility, his attitude of how he sees his life. His attitude towards how he lives out his life. Paul's eyes are ahead. It's always fixed ahead and we'll see more of this in our passage. But I also think Paul is humbled knowing that he's not worthy. Remember, he was a persecutor of the church before he encountered Christ. And he knows what lies ahead. And his vision is ahead. You see, in Scripture, there's this tension of the present and the not yet, the future. The present, what present is, and what is to come. For those of us who are in Christ, who believe in Christ, we are saved, we're redeemed, we're sanctified, yet we don't fully realize it now. In eternity, when we're with Christ, we will fully realize what it means to be saved, to be redeemed, to be sanctified. We're made holy when we receive Christ, His sacrifice, yet we still sin, right? right? None of us are perfect still, but yet we know that while we're made holy now, we will fully realize it when we're with Christ. There's this tension of the present and not yet. Does that make sense? So going back to the gain, what Paul mentions, what we gain, he says that I may know him, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death in order that I may attain the resurrection from the dead. What does that mean? That we're in Christ this way? I don't know if you have your Bibles, you could turn to Romans 6. Verses 3 through 9, Paul talks in Romans, he says, Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into His death? Therefore we've been buried with Him through baptism into death, in order that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we become united with, with Him in the likeness of His death, Certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him, that our body of sin might be done away, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, for he who has died is freed from sin. Now if we've died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him. What is Paul saying? What does it mean that we've been buried with Him and resurrected with Him? Marinate ingredient number four. Faith in Christ is transformational. To have faith in Christ is transformational. To have faith in Christ is accept Jesus died on the cross for sin, was buried and resurrected from the dead. Faith in Christ recognizes as Christ died, was buried, and rose again, we also died, buried, and will rise again to new life. You think, well, that's a little odd. We didn't actually die on the cross physically, right? We did not. I thought of this analogy, and it's not a perfect analogy. I don't know if any of you are traveling this holiday, any of you traveling out of town? Anyone going on a boat? You're like, no, now's not the time to travel. Maybe not. How many of you have all been on a plane? You've been on a train, right? When you go on a train or you fly on a plane, you get on that plane, it has a destination, right? The plane takes off and it flies. And it flies over, it goes to the clouds and so forth, it gets to your destination, right? And when someone asks you, where did you go? I say, oh, I flew to Denver. I flew to New York or whatever it is. You did not actually fly, right? Who did the flying? The airplane flew, right? You happened to be in the airplane, you happened to be on the train, and you traveled and you went, and it made the way for you to fly to your destination. That's not a a perfect analogy, but think of it as what Christ has done. Through Christ, you also, your old self, was dead buried. You resurrect to new life. Through Christ's resurrection, you also have new life. And not just your life now is changed, but in eternity, you are given new life. See, faith in Christ is transformational. We have not only a change now, but a hope of a resurrection to come. While the world kind of celebrates death right now, we can celebrate death not in a morbid sense, but the knowing that real life begins in eternity with the Lord. That we can celebrate that. And if we can have that focus, it completely transforms how we live our life. Paul goes on to say in verse 12, not that I've already obtained it or I've already become perfect, but I press on in order that I may lay hold of that for which I was also laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Jesus. The fifth ingredient to our marinade, live for the home stretch. You live for the home stretch. Paul saw his life with clarity and focus. The race he started is not the same race that he's ending with, right? Where he once lived for his flesh, what he could attain, what he could do in his life, he realized that's no longer. Those things are a hindrance to me. Those things I try to live for or were obstacles that got in my way of knowing Christ. And he realized it's not over yet. My race isn't over yet. It's not like he accepted Christ and said, all right, great, I'm saved. I don't have to do anything more, right? I could just kick back, relax, do whatever I want. That wasn't Paul's vision. He lived like he saw the home stretch. He was in pursuit, when the word that word it says, "I press on." that word is saying, I per- "I'm in pursuit. I'm running after it. What is Paul pursuing? He says, "I pursue that I may lay hold of that for which, I, which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. This' this beautiful play on words that Paul has. He says, "I pursue why, for what Christ pursued me for." That's what he's saying. I'm pursuing for what Christ was pursuing me for, that what he has for me. Paul's pursuing to lay hold of that for which Christ says, look, this is what I have for you that I want you to have. What Jesus was waiting for him is the very thing that Paul desired more than anything. Is there something that you are desiring more than Christ? Is there someone that you are desiring more than Christ? Because those things may be the very obstacles that's keeping you from knowing Him more. It could be the things that you've done, the things that you're pursuing, your your ambitions, your people, whatever it may be. Verse 13, he says, Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. Again, Paul says he's pressing on. He's forgetting what lies behind. And his vision is forward. All that he used to live for is behind him. All that he lived for now, he said, look, those are only a means to glorify God. Everything I live for now, those are just going to be things that I'm going to use to glorify God. His eyes are on the prize. 14, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I think Paul liked racing. I actually pressed that. I think Paul liked, I'll leave it there. I think he liked racing. He used this analogy often about a race, pressing on, the Olympic Games, and I think Paul has this backdrop, this imagery of this Olympic Games as he says verse 14, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. There are these officials that would officiate the games, these contests, the physical contests. Now we see the Olympic Games. Right? There were these officials at the time, they made sure everyone played by the rules. And these officials, they would be the ones that at the end of the race, they would declare who would be the victor. And they would be a part of crowning the victor of the race. And I believe Paul had this imagery when he says, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Invokes this image that we all are running this race. And we want to run in such a way that we see the prize at the end of the line. And we press forward. I don't know how many of you are runners. Any of you runners? Racers? I know some of you are, are, you bike, maybe you swim. Whatever it is. If you run a race, you know what it means when you turn the corner and you see that finish line, right? I hate racing. I hate racing. I like playing games, I like running in a game, but I'm not a very good runner. I can start well. I can finish OK. It's that middle part. I remember in PE in high school, I cheated. <laughs> we had a backdrop when we had to run laps. We run our first lap, and then we get to that backdrop, and a bunch of stayed behind the backdrop. So coach couldn't see. And we let people run by and we're like, okay, now it's time. And then we pick back up and start running until the coach realized, those of you in the behind, oh, that's kind of loud. Those of you behind the backdrop, keep running. That middle part was hard. But when you get to that final lap, you turn that corner and you see that finish line. Somehow you have a little bit more energy. Something pushes you towards that finish line you see what's at the end and you press on that much more this is the imagery that paul is saying says look in my life i know what christ has done i know what he did for me i know how he changed my life but there's something waiting at the end that's so amazing greater than anything we can live for on earth and that is what i am pursuing and I am going to press on. I'm not going to look back until I'm there. If you have your Bibles my life verse, First Corinthians chapter 9: 24 through 27, I don't have it up here, but he says, "Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives a prize? Run in such a way that you may win." That speaks to me, the competitor in me all right, you want a race? All right. I'm going to run my race to win. Five marinades, or five ingredients to our marinade. We need to choose to lose so that we can gain. We need to be willing to lose so that we can gain. If there's something that you're living for that's more than God, outside of Christ, you want something other than Christ a little bit more, you have to be willing to say, God, I'm willing to let it go for you, that I may know you that much more. Second, knowing Jesus is priceless and unmatched. Understand there's nothing greater you can experience or know than to know Christ Faith is our response to God's provision. God did all he can. What is your response? What God has provided for you, what he's done for you. Will you believe or will you choose to believe something else? Believe in someone else more. Because a faith, a life, and faith in Christ is transformational. He will transform your life Not just the life here on earth, but what is to come. What leads us to the fifth. Live for the home stretch. Those middle laps of running the mile at school. I was bad at it because I got distracted. Oh, my belly's hurting. It's kind of hot. How many more laps do I have to run? That guy passed me up. All, All those things run through my mind. But that home stretch... I'm going to push on. I'm going to encourage us. Run your race like you see the prize. What Christ has done for you and promises you and say, I am fixed on that. And I'm going to run like I'm going to win. I'm not a big fan of, you know, youth sports. Everyone receives a trophy, right? It's kind of good for your kid, right? They receive a trophy. Everyone wins, Right? But we want them to compete as hard as you can. God says, look, run in such a way to win. But look, I got a prize for you all. Right? Let's bow our heads. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you, Lord. Lord, we can be stubborn sometimes, thick-headed, prideful deceived to think that there's something better in this life than knowing you. We get prideful to think that we can do enough on our own to be good enough, to be worthy. But Lord, you said, I've done enough for you. Lord, I pray if there's anyone wrestling with that decision, Do I place my faith in Jesus? Lord, I pray that your spirit would speak to their hearts, that they would realize to place their faith and trust in you is the greatest thing they can ever experience. And they recognize their need for you. Their need for what you've done for them in their life. That they would say, Lord Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for my sin. Please forgive me. May you be the Lord of my life. Come into my life that I might live for you. Lord speaks to your heart. Don't wrestle with it. Don't fight it. He speaks to you cuz he loves you. Cares for you. And wants you to experience him in a dynamic transformational way. We lift this to you, Lord God, in each heart here in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's stand and let's worship.